The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. Excited to get into the word. I love to, to see things in the scripture that I feel are, are stirring with tremendous intention and purpose for the day. Like, like today. You can never really open up the word and leave disappointed, so to speak. But I do know that there is something that I like to call Bible roulette. Have you ever played Bible roulette? You know, where maybe you're just needing a little refreshing from God, and so you just kind of open up the scripture, close your eyes and point and read. And you know, I mean. Uh, God will speak uh, through a number of different ways. I can tell you Bible roulette is not always ideal. But, but this morning, we, there's hardly a, a, an episode of Bible roulette going on. I, I really feel in my spirit an urgency to talk about urgency. Or in this case, the word that I would use is desperation. And, you know, desperation is not really a word that you hear a lot in, in Christian circles. I, I have a feeling that if you were to... Uh, go to the Christian bookstore and just say, hey, I'm looking for, you know, your, your books on, on being desperate. You know, uh, uh, you're probably not going to find a whole lot uh, on that topic. You'll find a lot on breakthrough and victory and all these things. But yet there's a number of things that Jesus uh, talks about and identifies. And, and normally we, we identify things that we're going to be looking for in the scripture and things like that. I, I want to skip that this morning and go straight into a, a series of scriptures that I think will lay the foundation for, for where we're going with things. So uh, I want to give you a, a few passages of scripture, but before we do that, I want to just give a definition, a definition of the word desperate. I mean, it's not a word that we're, we're unfamiliar with. It's not a word that maybe we use every single day, but it's a word that is active in our vocabulary. Uh, to, to think of being desperate or to think of desperation is, is not going to leave us all in the position of scratching our heads wondering, you know, what does that mean? I think we've all been in situations or faced circumstances that we would identify as desperate. But if we turn to the dictionary, here's, here's a definition of the word desperate. Uh, you know, nothing fancy, just, just from the dictionary. Having an urgent need. Now, I think the word urgent there is really what makes it desperate. I mean, it's not just a need, it's an urgent need. Uh, meaning that maybe it's got a, a timeline or something attached to it. Maybe there's consequences attached to it, something along those lines. Uh, another definition here from the dictionary is uh, uh, to make a, a final or ultimate effort. Uh, another uh, definition here is giving all, you know. And that's one that, that we use a lot in, in sporting events or something like that. You know, they were down to the last seconds and, and they, they had to score to win. It was a, a desperate attempt to get into the end zone or something along those lines. Well, I mean, obviously there's nothing truly desperate in games and, and sporting events and activities like that. But that's where you'll hear those words used a lot. And when we look at the word desperate and we see, you know, urgent need and in, in this, this attempt, this giving all to, to find some ultimate solution... I think we can look at our lives and see a number of places where desperation has been a, a part of our life. Desperation has been part of our, our life uh, in, in every aspect of our living, but I want to point out a few things in the scripture today to show desperation as part of the life of the believer. I mean, desperation is part of the life of, of the Christian. And I want to offer this to you 
uh, using the scripture as we always do. I mean, we're, we're very devoted to the word here. But I want to offer it to you uh, first and foremost as something that stands out to me personally. So that means I'm offering this to you saying, hey, I've noticed something in the scripture and I want to present it to you. And I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit will, will, will open up your heart and your mind to see clearly what it is that the word's speaking. And perhaps we'll see it the same way. But I want you to listen to the things that are, are coming from the scripture here and ask yourself, is that desperate? So here, here's a couple of passages of scripture. Now, they're going to come from, from similar areas of the scripture. I mean, uh, one specific run that has a number of things that stood out to me that I wanted to share with you comes from Matthew chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, you'll find a, a lot of these in Matthew chapter 5. As Jesus is, is speaking, as he's uh, teaching, he lists a number of situations, and these situations are all situations that I would categorize as desperate situations. So let me just give you the, the scriptures here. Matthew 5, 3. Jesus says, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then just in the next verse, in Matthew 5, 4, you see, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In Matthew 5, 6, just a couple of passages uh, uh, further down the line, blessed are those who uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I mean, I want to just stop there for a second and, and, and just say, you know, uh, poverty or, or, or the state of being poor, mourning, or a, a state of devastating grief or, or loss, hunger and thirst. These are all things, when I hear them, I, I put these things in a real category of desperation. Now, we don't necessarily associate all of them immediately with those things. Because, you know, when we hear things like, you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for they shall be satisfied, because of, of the wonderful uh, society that we live in, many of us have really never known hunger. Now, we've been hungry, you know, and if I preach long enough, you'll start wondering what's for lunch, you know. But when Jesus is talking about hunger here, he's identifying a state that if not responded to will ultimately end in death. When hunger is present, if it's not responded to, it will ultimately result in death. Thirst is the same thing. If thirst is not responded to, if it goes unministered to or unresponded to, the end result will be death. Poverty, if poverty is not responded to, the end result will be loss. I mean, you look at these things and you see that they're, they're desperate things that he's talking about. And it, it's kind of an interesting thing to shift gears and to see Jesus dealing in desperation. And it's identifying of, of something that we ought to make note of, and, and throughout the word here, we'll, we'll make note of that and we'll move in that direction. But I want to give a few more passages of Scripture. Uh, let me give you one here from Mark chapter 2, verse 17. Now, this list of Scripture is not at all absolute. There, there's, there's no way that we're listing every single scenario in which you could connect the dots and see Jesus talking about uh, circumstances that are desperate. These are just some that stood out and were noteworthy in the, the small amount of time that I had to prepare. And so the, there's more in there, but this one stood out, uh, Mark 2, 17, when he identified it's not the healthy who need a physician, but it's those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners. I mean, when you look at sickness, you're dealing with another situation where there's desperation. Sickness not attended to or not ministered to or responded to will end in death. 
So you're looking at these scenarios. They're all ultimate. They're all absolute. They're all points of desperation. And they're all things that every person faces and deals with. Isaiah 61.1, Jesus is, is identifying, or, or the, the Holy Ghost is identifying through the prophet, what Jesus would later quote when the Holy Spirit is upon him, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, freedom to the prisoners. Think about that list of people. Those are our people. That's us. I mean, if I put a sign out front, and I know it's, it's kind of funny these days especially to talk about, you know, church growth because you can look around, a lot of empty chairs, you know, whether that is a, a COVID thing, whether that is a, a church growth thing, those are all things that are, are faced and dealt with. But you can identify this as probably not helping a church growth situation. Let's just put a sign out front that says, everyone who meets here is desperate. Everyone who meets here is poor, brokenhearted. Everyone who meets here is an inmate or is captive or in bondage of some kind. You're probably not going to draw a real big crowd because that's not a crowd that people really want to associate with. I've never once thought, you know what club I want to belong to? Uh, I want to belong to the Broken Hearts Club. You know what club I want to belong to? Those who are afflicted. That's the group I want to be with. You know, the club I want to, those who are in bondage and in captivity, that's the group I want to be with. But Jesus is identifying this is the group that we are. And it's that group that will get a response from God. And that response from God is Jesus himself to liberate from all of those uh, desperate scenarios. I'll give you a few more passages of scripture here uh, from the Psalm, Psalm 46.1. Psalm 46.1, I mean, I, I quote this a lot because I deal with a lot of troubling scenarios and situations. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and our strength. He is a very present help in time of trouble. Time of trouble. Desperate times. Psalm 25.9, he leads the afflicted into justice and he teaches them his way. Affliction, a, a state of desperation. Affliction is also used in Psalm 1017. For you, O Lord, you've heard the desire of the afflicted, and you will strengthen their heart, you will hear their cry. I mean, I see these things in the scripture, and I begin to, to see that, wow, there's a lot of desperation written about in the word of God. And it makes perfect sense to me because there's a lot of desperation in my day-to-day -day life. There's probably a lot of desperation in your day-to-day -day lives. When I look collectively at, at, at people across the board, the people that I encounter that I work with, the people that I work for, the people that I fellowship with, I see scenarios and situations that are, are easily described as, as desperate, where there is an urgent need or there is an effort to, to bring about victory and everything is, it's, is all given for that purpose. Everything that you would define desperate as, I see. And when I look at this passage, these passages of Scripture, I see that God's eye is turned toward desperation. I mean, I've said it this way before, and I'll offer it to you again, and I don't mean it to sound absolute in any way, but I believe God deals in desperation. I mean, I think making a statement like, you know, blessed are those who hunger and who thirst 
is different from a statement that's saying, hey, is anybody hungry or thirsty? You know, could you go for a bite to eat? But rather, God is looking for those who know and understand that I have this need, and it's so urgent, if it's not responded to, it will end in absolute loss. In that case, specifically death. And it's that kind of urgency, that kind of desperation that God has responded to by sending Jesus to take our place, to fulfill all prophecy and, and and the promised propitiation that Jesus would take our place on the cross, that mercy would prevail and grace would be abundantly poured out by the Holy Spirit, and that we might walk free from the afflictions that were once urgent in their, their need. I, I want to give you a, a couple of passages of Scripture here, and, and one is, you know, I want to ask this question, when do you need help? Now, you don't answer it out loud, but just think about it for a second. And it might sound kind of elementary to ask a question like this, but when do you need help? I mean, you don't need help when everything's going right. And you don't need help when uh, nothing is, is out of place. You, you, you don't need help then. I mean, you need help when something is completely upside down, when something has gone backwards, when something has not gone according to expectations or plan, but, but when something has completely blown up, so to speak, and, and, and pardon the lack of eloquence there, but it's then that you need help. And what we just read concerning God and his presence is that God is, is a very present help in times of need. I want to give you a passage of scripture here from Hebrews, Hebrews 4.16. Now, it's a call that I think we're familiar with in hearing about approaching God with confidence. And, and I think that is a wonderful thing for us to instill in our hearts and in our minds, the power of the blood of Jesus, that, that we have, have been blessed and anointed and washed clean of all corruption, that you are holy, just like Jesus is holy. That's the power of the blood. And, and that confidence that stirs in us leads us to draw near to God in the throne of grace. But, but I want to look at why. Why draw near to God in the throne of grace? I mean, that, there's a, a reason for it. So Hebrews 4.16 says, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. And then listen to these, these next words. The next two words are so that, right? So so that now is about to reveal to us why we would be drawing near to God and, and with confidence to the throne of grace so that you may receive mercy and find grace and help in desperate times. Well, that makes me feel a lot better about a lot of the issues that I deal with day to day in my life. That all of this, this empowerment by the blood of Jesus, the, the, the washing away of sin and corruption so that I might have confidence in approaching God and, and appear before the throne of grace, all of that has a reason and a purpose. And that's so that I can find his help when I'm in trouble. So that I can find his mercy to give help in desperate times. Your translation may say time of need, and I would urge you to say, what's the difference? Urgent need, desperation, one and the same. So I ask myself then, why is this the case? I mean, why would there be this dealing in desperation? Why would that be a, a thing? I mean, is there a, a purpose behind this 
for, for my life? Or is this just kind of the way things are, and so we deal with it? And I begin to see in the scripture that indeed there is a purpose. Now, I'm offering to you, you know, my perspective and my thoughts, and I'm offering to you trusting and believing that you may bear witness with these things. But I want to offer this to you from the scripture, and it comes from the psalm, Psalm 42, verse 6. Now, Psalm 42, verse 6 opens up with this cry to God, and, and a specific word is used, a word that I think is easily uh, uh, substituted with the word uh, desperate, but the word is despair, right? I mean, if you're despairing over something, you're dealing with a desperate situation. So Psalm 42, 6, uh, oh my God, my soul is in despair, or my soul is desperate within me. Now, now, the next word in this passage is therefore, right? So what you're seeing here is kind of cause and effect. Cause, my soul is desperate. Effect is, is what it produces. My God, my soul is in despair or my soul is desperate within me. Therefore, I remember you. Boy, that's a powerful thing to look at right there. My soul is desperate within me. And what that produces in my life is I remember you. I turn to you. I stop being so distracted by that, that, and that. And I start focusing once again on you. I look at these things and I, I look at this one even single passage of scripture and I begin to say, well, no wonder so many desperate moments are in my life, constantly drawing me back to God because I'm so easily distracted from my relationship, my fellowship, my priority, as the word would put it, my first love. I'm so easily distracted by things that seemingly don't matter, things that will ultimately burn in the end and really have no eternal purpose, but yet right now they seem so absolutely important to me. They will distract me, they will distract me, they will distract me until desperation causes me to turn back to my first love where I never should have left in the first place. I see desperation as having a purpose to keep things in the place that they ought to be, not out of some sadistic, controlling mentality that God might have toward me, but rather God's uh, a loving extension to keep me close to him as I need him. And my tendency would be to float further and further away by distraction and things that don't matter. So then... What do you do with desperation? I mean, if desperation is present in your life and, and it keeps us returning to God, what is the result of returning to God? What's the point of that? And, and there is a point, and it, I want to give it to you here uh, from the same psalm. You'll see it in some other psalms as well. But if you go to verse uh, 11, 42, 11, you'll see kind of the solution here that's revealed when we return to God in our times of, of desperation, our times of trouble, our time of need. Why are you in despair, O oh my soul? Now, let me tell you something. That's a question, and that's a real, legitimate question. Not just something that is poetic and, and meant to be kind of a filler so that the cadence will work out in this psalm, but that is a real question. Why are you in despair? I mean, if we find ourselves feeling the, the urgency and the pressures of desperation, I think it's important to stop and say, why am I feeling this? Why am I feeling so much pressure right now? I mean, it's something you could even list out. 
you could list things out. Well, I've got this going on at work, or I've got this going on at home, and I've, I've got that. That's why I feel all of this pressure. That's a real question. It's not sarcasm. It's real, and it's legitimate. We ought to be able to ask that question. When we're feeling pressure, when we're feeling urgent need, when we're feeling like if we don't respond to that, it's going to kill me. Why am I in despair? Real question. Here's what comes next. And why have you become disturbed within me? Another real question. Why does this really bother me? Am I concerned about what other people will think? Am I concerned about uh, what it's going to, to do down the road? Am I concerned? Why does that bother me? Why am I in despair and why does that bother me? Two very real questions back to back. And then now here comes the, the response, kind of the, the healing balm, so to speak, to those stinging questions. Why are you desperate? Why does it bother you? Hope in God. You shall yet praise him. In the victory of God. The victory of God will come. You know, there's some amazing things that I think get lost and, and they shouldn't get lost. Uh, we, we, we pray and we speak and we sing and we use the name uh, Jesus and rightfully so. But I, I really believe that his name carries so much importance and power in, in its, its, its Hebrew form, Yeshua, we ought to recall those things. I'll, I use Jesus all the time. In, in my, even my private prayers, Jesus, I, I grew up, it's, it's, it's how I speak his name. But I want to recall always Yeshua. Because his name would mean the deliverance of our God, the victory of our God. And a passage of scripture like we read here would have so much more meaning to apply his name to it in its end. Why am I desperate and why does that situation bother me? Hope in God and praise him and Jesus will bring victory. Yeshua, the victory of our God, the deliverance of our God. Jesus. I want to tell a, a quick story because I think it's important to see desperation and, and, and how desperation can work and operate in our lives. If you, if you have your Bibles there, you can turn to, and I'm going to paraphrase a lot, but the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 4 specifically. Now, in 2 Kings chapter 4, you're seeing wonderful, miraculous accounts of the prophet Elisha as, as he's walking in the anointing of God and, and, and leading the, the people of Israel. And, and in this instance, he's traveling. And as he travels, there's a place where he stops. Now, he stops at this place because he's been invited. There is a, a prominent woman in the region who has noticed Elisha's coming and going and has acknowledged in her own heart without any banners or fanfare that, that this is God's anointed. This is the prophet of God. She goes to her husband and says, this man passes through here and, and I believe I have a conviction that we ought to prepare a place for him so that he can rest. They prepare a place, so they, they host him, they feed him as he travels through and, and he's warmed by the hospitality. He responds to the woman and he asks her, uh, you know, what she would need or what she would want. 
Now, if you've ever traveled through the Middle East or had friends who were from the Middle East over here, you can see hospitality is a huge priority in that part of, of the world. And so as she has opened up her home to host and he has responded with, what can I do for you? These aren't just casual things like, hey, you need anything? You good? Okay, you're good. This is kind of a, a big part of their life. And as he makes this offer or this extension to her, what can I do for you? This is a real open door, blank check kind of offer. In fact, when, when she acknowledges that, that she's in need of nothing, he even says, do you need me to go and speak highly of you at the highest level of politics? I mean, he doesn't talk like this, and he's not arrogant or boastful, but he's basically saying like, hey, I got pull. I mean, I, I can get him on the phone right now and, and talk you up big time. You want that? No, I don't need that. So as she's extended her hospitality with no strings attached, something really fantastic has taken place. A, a, a desire to see this person's need met, needs met excuse me, rises in the prophet. It becomes evident that, that she's without child. And so the prophet announces, when I come back through here next year, you'll be holding a son. And her response is, is, you know, shoot me straight. Don't, don't lie to me. I mean, I, I'm taking you at your word. I'm trusting and believing you. And as you, you see in the story, as, as the prophet speaks the word, it comes to pass. When he comes back through, she's with child. Years go by. Years go by. Years go by. If we were making a, a movie here, they would do the squiggly lines. And you would flash forward to the future. And the, the child has grown older. And, and I picture him as being now taller than his mother. And, and you know, is just going through all the changes of adolescence. And, and he's going out to work in the field. Now, when I read it, I picture him being very young, and, and, and he's kind of going out for his first time out, and, and there's all of these wonderful changes, and, and something horrible takes place. He becomes very ill. Now, we, we acknowledged earlier uh, that sickness, we put that in the category of desperate, desperation. You know, there needs to be a response to this. An urgent need is present, and if it's not responded to, it won't end well. Well, the, the child continues to get worse and gets worse, and the, the scripture records that the child ceases to live. Now, the woman is in a, a spot here. I mean, this is a, a desperate time. I can't think of anything more desperate than what she's facing and dealing with here. And as she begins to respond to this desperation, I think we can take notes and, and, and learn a few things from her response. I think it's a really fantastic example. Uh, you know, the first thing that she does, and, and I'm going to, to paraphrase much of this, but I would encourage you to read it in your own time, is she, she takes the child and secures the child. The child is placed in the room of the prophet. She's, she's taking the child to the place where there's going to be a response from God. And as she does that, I think of that and I think, you know, I ought to take all of my desperate situations and take them to the place where there is a response from God. For us, that is the mercy seat. That is taking it before that throne of grace that we can approach so boldly all because of the blood of Jesus. She takes the, the, the desperate situation to the place where there will be a response from God. Then she seeks the, the prophet. She seeks the, the hand of God that, that will deliver. And what's really amazing to me is what she's met with or confronted with when she begins to seek God. And I see that as an obstacle that still exists today. 
She prepares to go and find the prophet of God. She's not panicked. She's not freaking out, but rather she's very calculated and she's intentional. She's going to see the prophet. And in this case, her husband stops her. And and in this case, you know, I don't know her husband. I've never met her husband. He may be a a very faith-filled man. He may be as spiritual as a doorstop. I'm not sure. But in this case, he tosses a stumbling block. Why are you going to see the man of God? It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. I mean, that's a weird way to say it, but it's almost like, hey, why are you going to church? It ain't Sunday. Basically, what he's limited to in his statement is all of your connection with God is through tradition. Why would you go now? Because it's not the time. It's not Sunday. It's not Wednesday. The church is closed. Why would you go? He's leaving no room for there to be any response to the desperate situation in real time being led by the Holy Spirit to move and to seek God out of this urgency and desperation whether he's wanting to medicate the situation with tradition. We only go to church on Sunday. It's neither new moon or Sabbath. Why would you go? Her response to that is a really great godly response. I look at this woman and I think this is a really godly wife. She doesn't use this as an opportunity to to verbally smack her husband around about how he needs to just get right with Jesus, but she just says, hey, it's well. It's well. And she, she goes on her trip. So if someone were to ask me, hey, what's something you can learn from this woman in dealing with desperation, I would say don't be bound by tradition. I mean, traditions will lead to to responses that will not be uh, victorious in situations or circumstances where traditions are called to come second. And when urgency enters in, desperation will transcend tradition every single time. And you see it throughout the scripture, whether it's King David eating the consecrated bread or whether it's this woman going to see the prophet when it's not Sunday, so to speak. I know that's being used metaphorically. Traditions. We've got to be willing to let the urgency transcend the traditions. And then as she goes and approaches the prophet, she travels, which means, you know, she's in this state of of sacrifice and discomfort. It's not pleasant to travel. Even in today's uh, uh, wonderful comforts, travel is still undesirable and uncomfortable. And all you have to do to know that is to travel. But she travels and she goes to the prophet. The prophet sees her from a distance, sends his servant out to her to find out if everything's okay. And as she approaches, her attitude is still, it's well. Now, now this is kind of reaching and grasping, but I see something here that we can learn from, something that we can, can, can glean from in this example. Our culture is, is so given to air all of their desperate circumstances and situations publicly through social media and other outlets. I think it's interesting that this lady didn't take the advantage or, or take the opportunity to, to talk about how hard her life has been when she's asked. Rather, she, she knew that this was not the person she needed to talk to. She's going to move about her business, get to the one that can do something about it, and she's not going to add drama to a situation that's already dramatic. We live in a very drama-hungry society. I mean, as if we don't have enough in our lives, we entertain ourselves with drama. All you have to do is watch any primetime television and you think like, my gosh, 
as if we don't have enough to deal with in our day-to-day lives, we entertain ourselves by watching people walk through painful, dramatic scenarios and situations. It's how we, we spend our free time. We're a very drama-hungry people. So staying free from drama, she continues to approach the prophet, and as she approaches the prophet, she does something really powerful, in my opinion. The word says that she clings to his feet. I mean, she doesn't just walk in and barge in and say, hey, what the heck? But rather, she approaches very humbly. Now, when we have passages of Scripture like boldly approach and things like that, I think it's a very interesting thing to interpret what that means. I think it's a bold thing to go to the prophet and cling to his feet. Now, some would think that it would be bold to go and and make your demand or be loud or, or be aggressive or assertive. And I don't think that's boldness at all. I think the boldness that she walked in was the confidence that she knew where she was going, who she needed to talk to, and she wasn't going to stop until she got there. And once she got there, boom, she was on the ground clinging to his feet. And then she does something even more bold in a moment. When the prophet asks her what the problem is and she reveals it to the prophet, he's grieved and he's moved and he sends his servant. He says, you go ahead, servant, and go and minister to the boy. And I have a feeling that there's kind of a, a, a pause there. And, and the pause is something that it's in my own head, you know, kind of reading between the lines a little bit. But this woman is clinging to his feet and, you know, that's not... A, a real comfortable situation, so hey, why don't you go take care of this so that we can get this woman off my feet? She makes the statement, I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving you. Now, this is something where I think, man, I can learn from that big time because often I've kind of put a timetable on God's response to my desperate situation, you know. Uh, God, you got a few hours to get that done, and then I'm moving on to my plan. And that's a real strategy that we might have. It's the kind of thing that we could, could deal with and face in anything. It could be great or it could be small. But there have been a number of timetables in my life that led to, to frustration and heartache when they weren't God's timetables. I mean, I remember when I was in my 20s and just thought that if I didn't get married tomorrow, I was going to be single forever. So every single person that crossed my path, surely she was the one, right? You have scenarios and situations that that we just need to relax and trust that God will move and we're not going to move from God until the timing is right. And what's really wonderful about the miracle is the timing. When you think about any miracle in the scripture, you cannot escape the importance and the power of timing in that situation or that circumstance. Here's a great example. Jesus telling Peter to go cast his hook in the water to catch a fish to get the money to pay their taxes. Well, if you don't owe taxes, that's just a really cool fishing trip, right? But when you owe the taxes and you're sent by God to go cast your hook in the water and you pull out a fish and it's got money for your taxes, well, that's a miracle. Timing. She says, I'm not letting go of you. I'm not going to let go of you. I'm going to stay with you. And then we continue to see that that trust and that release, that refusal to, to, to let go of the hope that is present in the situation even though the situation is desperate. The prophet arrives, there's, there's no results, no desired results. 
The prophet intervenes and begins to minister, and ultimately the results are restoration. Resurrection in this case. Everything that would be desired to respond to this ultimately desperate situation comes to pass with joy and celebration. It's an amazing thing to just look at the history of the story, the account of the story, but then ask yourself, how can this teach me? What can I learn from this woman who dealt with this scenario that is so horrific, so devastating, that it could have introduced a paralysis that would lead to nothing? What did she do that I can apply to my life, that I can begin to, to function and operate in response to desperate situations and open up those doors for the solution that I know God is capable of bringing? And then, too, the fact that God would deal in desperation, that he would see and respond to desperate things, that desperate things can be even by design for the purpose of drawing me back to where I never should have left in the first place, where I'm constantly returning to the one that is my first love. All of these things are things that I believe are worth taking a note of for the purpose of applying to our life as we deal with situations that are in urgent need that are desperate. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning and I want to pray. I want to ask God for something. What I want to ask God for is going to sound bizarre, but it's, it's part of responding to desperate and urgent situations. We talked about the things the woman did, that she wasn't bound by tradition and, and that she... Was, was devoted to, to the solution to the point that she clung to the prophet's feet. And that's really the one that stands out to me as the one that is, is important and necessary for, for my life. And, and it's the one that I want to, to bring to the congregation to you this morning. The idea that the woman's response would be so shameless, that was so ominous. The timing of that, at the, the point of the word shameless, couldn't have been timed better. But that's the thing, is that shame is a villain. To think that this woman would travel across the country and that she would throw herself at the feet of the prophet is, is, is something that is poetic to read, and we can read it almost as if it's fiction and just think, wow, what a devoted mother. But it's more than just fiction, it's type and shadow, it's example given to us in how to respond to God in our times of desperation. That to boldly approach God's throne by the blood of Jesus is to go before God with our perfectly humbled hearts being washed and purified from all the pride and the corruption that would cause us to, to mire and be bogged down by destruction, leading us to him to cling to his feet. And then even when we are told that, that, that we can stop now, her response, I'm not leaving. I mean, we hear that, we can read that, and it can even sound annoying. But yet there's something about that annoyance that I think is important to make note of. Jesus gave an example of, of desperation. He said, hey, there's a man who needed something. And even though his need came in the middle of the night, he went and he knocked on his neighbor's door. His neighbor said, hey, I'm in bed. Catch me tomorrow. 
And he knocked and he knocked and he knocked and he knocked and he refused to leave and he made such a scene that his neighbor, even though his neighbor was in bed already, came to the door and met his need. I mean, it can either be filed away as kind of a goofy story or it can be the word of God entering into your life as instruction and counsel for how to handle our needs. That we be shameless. And there's been a number of times where somebody has asked me something and it's almost insulted me when I've talked to them about a need or something like that and they say, well, have you prayed about it? And an arrogance will rise up and, well, of course I've prayed about it. Have you kept praying about it? Have you kept seeking God? Is that shamelessness alive and well in you to seek after God nonstop? concerning the breakthrough and the victory that is so urgently needed. And to keep those fires stoked isn't always an easy thing. I believe that's why we need the body around us to support and and to fellowship and, and to keep encouraged. Hey, hang in there. Keep seeking. Don't give up. God is good. Cling to the feet of Jesus. And brother, if your hands get tired, I'll get down there and cling for you. Just don't let go. And it's that kind of shamelessness that I believe is the desperation that God deals in. Hunger, thirst, all of these things, ultimate and urgent. And they all touch our lives for the purpose of showing us and illustrating us, illustrating to us rather, excuse me, how to function and how to operate in our time of need. I want to pray and I want to ask God for that shamelessness to exist in our hearts and our minds, that any pride or any tradition or anything that would keep us from shamelessly seeking after him would be lifted. There where you stand, you're welcome to be in a state of receiving or agreement. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We rejoice, uh, first and foremost, that you've not made us to be beggars groveling before you, but that you have equipped us by your mercy to come boldly before you. Let that boldness lead us to come before you with humble hearts, to cling to you, to refuse to to, to leave, to, to be in that place of mind or heart that we will not seek solution in another, but that we trust that you have a way, you have a plan. Let it not be forced to fit our heart's desire, but let our heart be pliable to be molded to your plan. Let that desperation and that urgency Lead, into, lead us into a freedom from tradition and habit and pride and arrogance and, and bring us to a place of shamelessness where we might cling to the feet of our righteous king and we might walk in such a manner that we see the solution that we so urgently need and let every desperate situation have its wonderful way, leading us to you, seeking after you, bringing us back to you if we have strayed away. Let there be a work that it would not be resented, rejected, despised, or hated, but that it would be embraced. God, you are at work in my life. You are drawing me near to you, and you are bringing a victory into play in my life that will bring you both honor and glory and continue to see your kingdom expand in my life, in my household, in every aspect of my living. Let that mentality rise in us that we might respond to every desperate or urgent need in such a way that we would make room for the victory that is Yeshua, your deliverance, 
manifest and full in our King Jesus. Let it bring you honor and glory. We bless your name. We praise you and we rejoice in you. And we give you thanks in the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com. King Jesus. Let it bring you honor and glory. We bless your name. We praise you and we rejoice in you. And we give you thanks in the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com. is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I'm excited to get into the Word. I love to, to see things in the Scripture that I feel are, are stirring with tremendous intention and purpose for the day. Like, like today, you can never really open up the word and leave disappointed, so to speak. But I do know that there is something that I like to call Bible roulette. Have you ever played Bible roulette, you know, where maybe you're just needing a little refreshing from God, and so you just kind of open up the scripture, close your eyes and point and read. And, you know, I mean, uh, God will speak uh, through a number of different ways. I can tell you Bible roulette is not always ideal, but but this morning, there's hardly a, a, an episode of Bible roulette going on. I, I really feel in my spirit an urgency to talk about urgency, or in this case, the word that I would use is desperation. And, you know, desperation is not really a word that you hear a lot in, in Christian circles. I have a feeling that if you were to uh, go to the Christian bookstore and just say, hey, I'm looking for you know, your, your books on, on being desperate, you know, uh, you're probably not going to find a whole lot uh, on that topic. You'll find a lot on breakthrough and victory and all these things, but yet there's a number of things that Jesus uh, talks about and identifies, and, and normally we, we identify things that we're going to be looking for in the scripture and things like that. I, I want to skip that this morning and go straight into a, a series of scriptures that I think will lay the foundation for, for where we're going with things. So uh, I want to give you a, a few passages of Scripture, but before we do that, I want to just give a definition, a definition of the word desperate. I mean, it's not a word that we're, we're unfamiliar with. It's not a word that maybe we use every single day, but it's a word that is active in our vocabulary. Uh, to, to think of being desperate or to think of desperation is, is not going to leave us all in the position of scratching our heads wondering you know, what does that mean? I think we've all been in situations or face circumstances that we would identify as desperate. But if we turn to the dictionary, here's, here's a definition of the word desperate. Uh, you know, nothing fancy, just, just from the dictionary. Having an urgent need. Now, I think the word urgent there is really what makes it desperate. I mean, it's not just a need, it's an urgent need. 
uh, meaning that maybe it's got a, a timeline or something attached to it. Maybe there's consequences attached to it, something along those lines. Uh, another definition here from the dictionary is uh, uh, to make a, a final or ultimate effort. Uh, another uh, definition here is giving all, you know. And that's one that, that we use a lot in, in sporting events or something like that. You know, where they were down to the last seconds and, and they, they had to score to win. It was a, a desperate attempt to get into the end zone or something along those lines. Well, I mean, obviously there's nothing truly desperate in games and, and sporting events and activities like that. But that's where you'll hear those words used a lot. And when we look at the word desperate and we see, you know, urgent need and in, in this, this attempt, this giving all to, to find some ultimate solution... I think we can look at our lives and see a number of places where desperation has been a, a part of our life. Desperation has been part of our, our life uh, in, in every aspect of our living, but I want to point out a few things in the scripture today to show desperation as part of the life of the believer. I mean, desperation is part of the life of, of the Christian, and I want to offer this to you uh, using the scripture as we always do. I mean, we're, we're very devoted to the word here. But I want to offer it to you first and foremost as something that stands out to me personally. So that means I'm offering this to you saying, hey, I've noticed something in the scripture and I want to present it to you. And I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit will, will, will open up your heart and your mind to see clearly what it is that the word's speaking. And perhaps we'll see it the same way. But I want you to listen to the things that are, are coming from the scripture here and ask yourself, is that desperate? So here, here's a couple of passages of Scripture. Now, they're going to come from, from similar areas of the Scripture. I mean, uh, one specific run that has a number of things that stood out to me that I wanted to share with you comes from Matthew chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, you'll find a, a lot of these in Matthew chapter 5. As Jesus is, is speaking, as he's uh, teaching, he lists a number of situations, and these situations are all situations that I would categorize as desperate situations. So let me just give you the, the scriptures here. Matthew 5, 3, Jesus says, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then just in the next verse in Matthew 5, 4, you see, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. In Matthew 5, 6, just a couple of passages uh, uh, further down the line, blessed are those who uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. I mean, I want to just stop there for a second and, and, and just say, you know, uh, poverty or, or, or the state of being poor, mourning, or a, a state of devastating grief or, or loss, hunger and thirst. These are all things, when I hear them, I, I put these things in a real category of desperation. Now, we don't necessarily associate all of them immediately with those things. Because, you know, when we hear things like, you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for they shall be satisfied, because of, of the wonderful uh, society that we live in, many of us have really never known hunger. Now, we've been hungry, you know, and if I preach long enough, you'll start wondering what's for lunch, you know. But when Jesus is talking about hunger here, he's identifying a state that if not responded to will ultimately end in death. When hunger is present, if it's not responded to, it will ultimately result in death. Thirst is the same thing. If thirst is not responded to, if it goes unministered to or unresponded to, the end result will be death. Poverty, if poverty is not responded to, the end result will be loss. 
I mean, you look at these things and you see that they're, they're desperate things that he's talking about. And it's kind of an interesting thing to shift gears and to see Jesus dealing in desperation. And it's identifying of, of something that we ought to make note of. And, and throughout the word here, we'll, we'll make note of that and we'll move in that direction. But I want to give a few more passages of scripture. Uh, let me give you one here from Mark chapter 2, verse 17. Now, this list of scripture is not at all absolute. There, there's, there's no way that we're listing every single scenario in which you could connect the dots and see Jesus talking about uh, circumstances that are desperate. These are just some that stood out and were noteworthy in the, the small amount of time that I had to prepare. And so the, there's more in there, but this one stood out, uh, Mark two seventeen, when he identified it's not the healthy who need a physician, but it's those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners. I mean, when you look at sickness, you're dealing with another situation where there's desperation. Sickness not attended to or not ministered to or responded to will end in death. So you're looking at these scenarios. They're all ultimate. They're all absolute. They're all points of desperation. And they're all things that every person faces and deals with. Isaiah 61.1, Jesus is, is identifying, or, or the, the Holy Ghost is identifying through the prophet what Jesus would later quote when the Holy Spirit is upon him, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, freedom to the prisoners. Think about that list of people. Those are our people. That's us. I mean, if I put a sign out front, and I know it's, it's kind of funny these days especially to talk about, you know, church growth because you can look around, a lot of empty chairs, you know, whether that is a, a COVID thing, whether that is a, a church growth thing, those are all things that are, are faced and dealt with. But you can identify this as probably not helping a church growth situation. Let's just put a sign out front that says everyone who meets here is desperate. Everyone who meets here is poor, brokenhearted. Everyone who meets here is an inmate or is captive or in bondage of some kind. You're probably not going to draw a real big crowd because that's not a crowd that people really want to associate with. I've never once thought, you know what club I want to belong to? Uh, I want to belong to the Broken Hearts Club. You know what club I want to belong to? Those who are afflicted. That's the group I want to be with. You know, the club I want to, those who are in bondage and in captivity, that's the group I want to be with. But Jesus is identifying this is the group that we are. And it's that group that will get a response from God. And that response from God is Jesus himself to liberate from all of those uh, desperate scenarios. I'll give you a few more passages of scripture here uh, from the Psalm, Psalm 46.1. Psalm 46.1, I mean, I, I quote this a lot because I deal with a lot of troubling scenarios and situations. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and our strength. He is a very present help in time of trouble. Time of trouble. Desperate times. Psalm 25.9, he leads the afflicted into justice and he teaches them his way. Affliction, a, a state of desperation. Affliction is also used in Psalm ten seventeen, For you, O Lord, you've heard the desire of the afflicted. 
and you will strengthen their heart, you will hear their cry. I mean, I see these things in the scripture and I begin to to see that, wow, there's a lot of desperation written about in the word of God. And it makes perfect sense to me because there's a lot of desperation in my day-to-day life. There's probably a lot of desperation in your day-to-day lives. When I look collectively at, at, at people across the board, the people that I encounter, that I work with, the people that I work for, the people that I fellowship with, I see scenarios and situations that are, are easily described as, as desperate, where there is an urgent need or there is an effort to, to bring about victory and everything is, it's, is all given for that purpose. Everything that you would define desperate as, I see. And when I look at this passage, these passages of Scripture, I see that God's eye is turned toward desperation. I mean, I've said it this way before, and I'll offer it to you again, and I don't mean it to sound absolute in any way, but I believe God deals in desperation. I mean, I think making a statement like, you know, blessed are those who hunger and who thirst is different from a statement that's saying, Hey, is anybody hungry or thirsty? You know, could you go for a bite to eat? But rather, God is looking for those who know and understand that I have this need, and it's so urgent, if it's not responded to, it will end in absolute loss. In that case, specifically death. And it's that kind of urgency, that kind of desperation that God has responded to by sending Jesus to take our place, to fulfill all prophecy and in, in, And the promised propitiation that Jesus would take our place on the cross, that mercy would prevail and grace would be abundantly poured out by the Holy Spirit and that we might walk free from the afflictions that were once urgent in their their need. I want to give you a a couple of passages of scripture here. And and one is, you know, I want to ask this question. When do you need help? You don't answer it out loud, but just think about it for a second. And it might sound kind of elementary to ask a question like this, but when do you need help? I mean, you don't need help when everything's going right. And you don't need help when uh, nothing is, is out of place. You, you, you don't need help then. I mean, you need help when something is completely upside down, when something has gone backwards, when something has not gone according to expectations or plan, but, but when something has completely blown up, so to speak, and, and, and pardon the lack of eloquence there, but it's then that you need help. And what we just read concerning God and his presence is that God is, is a very present help in times of need. I want to give you a passage of scripture here from Hebrews, Hebrews 4.16. Now, it's a call that I think we're familiar with in hearing about approaching God with confidence and And I think that is a wonderful thing for us to instill in our hearts and in our minds, the power of the blood of Jesus, that that we have have been blessed and anointed and washed clean of all corruption, that you are holy, just like Jesus is holy. That's the power of the blood. And, And that confidence that stirs in us leads us to draw near to God and the throne of grace. But but I want to look at why. Why draw near to God in the throne of grace? I mean, there's a reason for it. So Hebrews 4.16 says, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. And then listen to these, these next words. The next two words are so that, right? So so that now is about to reveal to us why we would be drawing near to God 
and, and with confidence to the throne of grace, so that you may receive mercy and find grace and help in desperate times. Well, that makes me feel a lot better about a lot of the issues that I deal with day to day in my life. That all of this, this empowerment by the blood of Jesus, the, the, the washing away of sin and corruption so that I might have confidence in approaching God and, and appear before the throne of grace, all of that has a reason and a purpose. And that's so that I can find his help when I'm in trouble. So that I can find his mercy to give help in desperate times. Your translation may say time of need, and I would urge you to say, what's the difference? Urgent need, desperation, one and the same. So I ask myself then, why is this the case? I mean, why would there be this dealing in desperation? Why would that be a, a thing? I mean, is there a, a purpose behind this for, for my life? Or is this just kind of the way things are and so we deal with it? And I begin to see in the scripture that indeed there is a purpose. Now I'm offering to you, you know, my perspective and my thoughts and I'm offering to, me, to you trusting and believing that you may bear witness with these things. But I want to offer this to you from the scripture and it comes from the psalm, Psalm 42, verse 6. Now, Psalm 42, verse 6 opens up with this cry to God, and, and a specific word is used, a word that I think is easily uh, uh, substituted with the word uh, desperate, but the word is despair, right? I mean, if you're despairing over something, you're dealing with a desperate situation. So Psalm 42, 6, uh, oh my God, my soul is in despair, or my soul is desperate within me. Now, now, the next word in this passage is therefore, right? So what you're seeing here is kind of cause and effect. Cause, my soul is desperate. Effect is, is what it produces. My God, my soul is in despair or my soul is desperate within me. Therefore, I remember you. Boy, that's a powerful thing to look at right there. My soul is desperate within me. And what that produces in my life is I remember you. I turn to you. I stop being so distracted by that, that, and that. And I start focusing once again on you. I look at these things and I, I look at this one even single passage of scripture and I begin to say, well, no wonder so many desperate moments are in my life, constantly drawing me back to God because I'm so easily distracted from my relationship, my fellowship, my priority, as the word would put it, my first love. I'm so easily distracted by things that seemingly don't matter, things that will ultimately burn in the end and really have no eternal purpose, but yet right now they seem so absolutely important to me. They will distract me, they will distract me, they will distract me until desperation causes me to turn back to my first love where I never should have left in the first place. I see desperation as having a purpose to keep things in the place that they ought to be, not out of some sadistic, controlling mentality that God might have toward me, but rather God's uh, a loving extension to keep me close to him as I need him. And my tendency would be to float further and further away by distraction and things that don't matter. 
So then, what do you do with desperation? I mean, if desperation is present in your life and, and it keeps us returning to God, what is the result of returning to God? What's the point of that? And, and there is a point, and it, I want to give it to you here uh, from the same psalm. You'll see it in some other psalms as well. But if you go to verse uh, 11, 42-11, you'll see kind of the solution here that's revealed when we return to God in our times of, of desperation, our times of trouble, our time of need. Why are you in despair, O oh my soul? Now, let me tell you something. That's a question, and that's a real legitimate question. Not just something that is poetic and, and meant to be kind of a filler so that the cadence will work out in this psalm, but that is a real question. Why are you in despair? I mean, if we find ourselves feeling the, the urgency and the pressures of desperation, I think it's important to stop and say, why am I feeling this? Why am I feeling so much pressure right now? I mean, it's something you could even list out. You could list things out. Well, I've got this going on at work, or I've got this going on at home, and I've, I've got that. That's why I feel all of this pressure. That's a real question. It's not sarcasm. It's real, and it's legitimate. We ought to be able to ask that question. When we're feeling pressure, when we're feeling urgent need, when we're feeling like if we don't respond to that, it's going to kill me. Why am I in despair? Real question. Here's what comes next. And why have you become disturbed within me? Another real question. Why does this really bother me? Am I concerned about what other people will think? Am I concerned about uh, what it's going to, to do down the road? Am I concerned? Why does that bother me? Why am I in despair and why does that bother me? Two very real questions back to back. And then now here comes the, the response, kind of the, the healing balm, so to speak, to those stinging questions. Why are you desperate? Why does it bother you? Hope in God. You shall yet praise him. In the victory of God. The victory of God will come. You know, there's some amazing things that I think get lost and, and they shouldn't get lost. Uh, we, we, we pray and we speak and we sing and we use the name uh, Jesus and rightfully so. But I, I really believe that his name carries so much importance and power in, in its, its, its Hebrew form, Yeshua, we ought to recall those things. I'll, I use Jesus all the time in, in my, even my private prayers, Jesus. Uh, I, I grew up, it's, it, it's, it's how I speak his name, but I want to recall always Yeshua because his name would mean the deliverance of our God, the victory of our God. And a passage of scripture like we read here would have so much more meaning to apply his name to it in its end. Why am I desperate and why does that situation bother me? Hope in God and praise him and Jesus will bring victory. Yeshua, the victory of our God, the deliverance of our God. Jesus. I want to tell a quick story because I think it's important to see desperation and, and, and how desperation can work and operate in our lives. 
If you, if you have your Bibles there, you can turn to, and I'm going to paraphrase a lot, but the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 4 specifically. Now, in 2 Kings chapter 4, you're seeing wonderful, miraculous accounts of the prophet Elisha as, as he's walking in the anointing of God and, and, and leading the, the people of Israel. And, and in this instance, he's traveling, and as he travels, there's a place where he stops. Now, he stops at this place because he's been invited. There is a, a prominent woman in the region who has noticed Elisha's coming and going and has acknowledged in her own heart without any banners or fanfare that, that this is God's anointed. This is the prophet of God. She goes to her husband and says, this man passes through here and, and I believe I have a conviction that we ought to prepare a place for him so that he can rest. They prepare a place, so they, they host him, they feed him as he travels through and, and he's warmed by the hospitality. He responds to the woman and he asks her, uh, you know, what she would need or what she would want. Now, if you've ever traveled through the Middle East or had friends who were from the Middle East over here, you can see hospitality is a huge priority in that part of, of the world. And so as she has opened up her home to host and he has responded with, what can I do for you? These aren't just casual things like, hey, you need anything? You good? Okay, you're good. This is kind of a big part of their life. And as he makes this offer or this extension to her, what can I do for you? This is a real open door, blank check kind of offer. In fact, when she acknowledges that she's in need of nothing, he even says, do you need me to go and speak highly of you at the highest level of politics. I mean, he doesn't talk like this, and he's not arrogant or boastful, but he's basically saying like, hey, I got pull. I mean, I, I can get him on the phone right now and, and talk you up big time. You want that? No, I don't need that. So as she's extended her hospitality with no strings attached, something really fantastic has taken place. A, a, a desire to see this person's need met needs met, excuse me, rises in the prophet. It becomes evident that, that she's without child. And so the prophet announces, when I come back through here next year, you'll be holding a son. And her response is, is you know, shoot me straight. Don't, don't lie to me. I mean, I, I'm taking you at your word. I'm trusting and believing you. And as you, you see in the story, as, as the prophet speaks the word, it comes to pass. When he comes back through, she's with child. Years go by, years go by, years go by. If we were making a, a movie here, they would do the squiggly lines. And you would flash forward to the future. And the, the child has grown older. And, and I picture him as being now taller than his mother. And, and you know, he's just going through all the changes of adolescence. And, and he's going out to work in the field. Now, when I read it, I picture him being very young, and, and, and he's kind of going out for his first time out, and, and there's all of these wonderful changes, and, and something horrible takes place. He becomes very ill. Now, we, we acknowledged earlier uh, that sickness, we put that in the category of desperate, desperation. You know, there needs to be a response to this. An urgent need is present, and if it's not responded to, it won't end well. Well, the, the child continues to get worse and gets worse, and the, the scripture records that the child ceases to live. Now, the woman is in a, a spot here. I mean, this is a, a desperate time. I can't think of anything more desperate than what she's facing and dealing with here. And as she begins to respond to this desperation, 
I think we can take notes and, and, and learn a few things from her response. I think it's a really fantastic example. Uh, you know, the first thing that she does, and, and I'm going to, to paraphrase much of this, but I would encourage you to read it in your own time, is she, she takes the child and secures the child. The child is placed in the room of the prophet. She's, she's taking the child to the place where there's going to be a response from God. And as she does that, I think of that and I think, you know, I ought to take all of my desperate situations and take them to the place where there is a response from God. For us, that is the mercy seat. That is taking it before that throne of grace that we can approach so boldly all because of the blood of Jesus. She takes the, the, the desperate situation to the place where there will be a response from God. Then she seeks the, the prophet. She seeks the, the hand of God that, that will deliver. And what's really amazing to me is what she's met with or confronted with when she begins to seek God. And I see that as an obstacle that still exists today. She prepares to go and find the prophet of God. She's not panicked. She's not freaking out, but rather she's very calculated and she's intentional. She's going to see the prophet. And in this case, her husband stops her. And, and in this case, you know, I don't know her husband. I've never met her husband. He may be a, 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 a very faith-filled man. He may be as spiritual as a doorstop. I'm not sure. But in this case, he tosses a stumbling block. Why are you going to see the man of God? It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. I mean, that's a weird way to say it, but it's almost like, hey, why are you going to church? It ain't Sunday. Basically, what he's limited to in his statement is all of your connection with God is through tradition. Why would you go now? Because it's not the time. It's not Sunday. It's not Wednesday. The church is closed. Why would you go? He's leaving no room for there to be any response to the desperate situation in real time being led by the Holy Spirit to move and to seek God out of this urgency and desperation whether he's wanting to medicate the situation with tradition. We only go to church on Sunday. It's neither new moon or Sabbath. Why would you go? Her response to that is a really great godly response. I look at this woman and I think this is a really godly wife. She doesn't use this as an opportunity to, to verbally smack her husband around about how he needs to just get right with Jesus, but she just says, hey, it's well. It's well. And she, she goes on her trip. So if someone were to ask me, hey, what's something you can learn from this woman in dealing with desperation, I would say don't be bound by tradition. I mean, traditions will lead to, to responses that will not be uh, victorious in situations or circumstances where traditions are called to come second. And when urgency enters in, desperation will transcend tradition every single time. And you see it throughout the scripture, whether it's King David eating the consecrated bread or whether it's this woman going to see the prophet when it's not Sunday, so to speak. I know that's being used metaphorically. Traditions. We've got to be willing to let the urgency transcend the traditions. And then as she goes and approaches the prophet, she travels, which means, you know, she's in this state of, of sacrifice and discomfort. It's not pleasant to travel. Even in today's uh, uh, wonderful comforts, travel is still undesirable and uncomfortable. And all you have to do to know that is to travel. 
But she travels and she goes to the prophet. The prophet sees her from a distance, sends his servant out to her to find out if everything's okay. And as she approaches, her attitude is still, it's well. Now, now this is kind of reaching and grasping, but I see something here that we can learn from, something that we can, can, can glean from in this example. Our culture is, is so given to air all of their desperate circumstances and situations publicly through social media and other outlets. I think it's interesting that this lady didn't take the advantage or, or take the opportunity to, to talk about how hard her life has been when she's asked. Rather, she, she knew that this was not the person she needed to talk to. She's going to move about her business, get to the one that can do something about it, and she's not going to add drama to a situation that's already dramatic. We live in a very drama-hungry society. I mean, as if we don't have enough in our lives, we entertain ourselves with drama. All you have to do is watch any primetime television and you think like, my gosh, as if we don't have enough to deal with in our day-to-day -day lives, we entertain ourselves by watching people walk through painful, dramatic scenarios and situations. That's how we, we spend our free time. We're very drama-hungry people. So staying free from drama, she continues to approach the prophet, and as she approaches the prophet, she does something really powerful, in my opinion. The word says that she clings to his feet. I mean, she doesn't just walk in and barge in and say, hey, what the heck? But rather, she approaches very humbly. Now, when we have passages of Scripture like boldly approach and things like that, I think it's a very interesting thing to interpret what that means. I think it's a bold thing to go to the prophet and cling to his feet. Now, some would think that it would be bold to go and, and make your demand or be loud or, or be aggressive or assertive. And I don't think that's boldness at all. I think the boldness that she walked in was the confidence that she knew where she was going, who she needed to talk to, and she wasn't going to stop until she got there. And once she got there, boom, she was on the ground clinging to his feet. And then she does something even more bold in a moment. When the prophet asks her what the problem is and she reveals it to the prophet, he's grieved and he's moved and he sends his servant. He says, you go ahead, servant, and go and minister to the boy. And I have a feeling that there's kind of a, a, a pause there. And, and the pause is something that it's in my own head, you know, kind of reading between the lines a little bit. But this woman is clinging to his feet and, you know, that's not... A, a real comfortable situation, so hey, why don't you go take care of this so that we can get this woman off my feet? She makes the statement, I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving you. Now, this is something where I think, man, I can learn from that big time because often I've kind of put a timetable on God's response to my desperate situation, you know. Uh, God, you got a few hours to get that done, and then I'm moving on to my plan. And that's a real strategy that we might have. It's the kind of thing that we could, could deal with and face in anything. It could be great or it could be small. But there have been a number of timetables in my life that led to, to frustration and heartache when they weren't God's timetables. I mean, I remember when I was in my 20s and just thought that if I didn't get married tomorrow, I was going to be single forever. So every single person that crossed my path, surely she was the one, right? You have scenarios and situations that, that we just need to relax and trust that God 
will move, and we're not going to move from God until the timing is right. And what's really wonderful about the miracle is the timing. When you think about any miracle in the scripture, you cannot escape the importance and the power of timing in that situation or that circumstance. Here's a great example. Jesus telling Peter to go cast his hook in the water to catch a fish to get the money to pay their taxes. Well, if you don't owe taxes, that's just a really cool fishing trip, right? But when you owe the taxes and you're sent by God to go cast your hook in the water and you pull out a fish and it's got money for your taxes, well, that's a miracle. Timing. She says, I'm not letting go of you. I, I, I'm not going to let go of you. I'm going to stay with you. And then we continue to see that, that trust and that release, that refusal to, to, to let go of the hope that is present in the situation, even though the situation is desperate. The prophet arrives, there's, there's no results, no desired results. The prophet intervenes and begins to minister, and ultimately the results are restoration. Resurrection in this case. Everything that would be desired to respond to this ultimately desperate situation comes to pass with joy and celebration. It's an amazing thing to just look at the history of the story, the account of the story, but then ask yourself, how can this teach me? What can I learn from this woman who dealt with this scenario that is so horrific, so devastating, that it could have introduced a paralysis that would lead to nothing? What did she do that I can apply to my life, that I can begin to, to function and operate in response to desperate situations and open up those doors for the solution that I know God is capable of bringing? And then, too, the fact that God would deal in desperation, that he would see and respond to desperate things, that desperate things can be even by design for the purpose of drawing me back to where I never should have left in the first place, where I'm constantly returning to the one that is my first love. All of these things are things that I believe are worth taking a note of for the purpose of applying to our life as we deal with situations that are in urgent need that are desperate. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning and I want to pray. I want to ask God for something. What I want to ask God for is going to sound bizarre, but it's, it's part of responding to desperate and urgent situations. We talked about the things the woman did, that she wasn't bound by tradition and, and that she... Was, was devoted to, to the solution to the point that she clung to the prophet's feet. And that's really the one that stands out to me as the one that is, is important and necessary for, for my life. And, and it's the one that I want to, to bring to the congregation to you this morning. The idea that the woman's response would be so shameless, that was so ominous. The timing of that, at the, the point of the word shameless, couldn't have been timed better. But that's the thing, is that shame is a villain. 
To think that this woman would travel across the country and that she would throw herself at the feet of the prophet is, is, is something that is poetic to read, and we can read it almost as if it's fiction and just think, wow, what a devoted mother. But it's more than just fiction. It's type and shadow. It's example given to us in how to respond to God in our times of desperation. That to boldly approach God's throne by the blood of Jesus is to go before God with our perfectly humbled hearts being washed and purified from all the pride and the corruption that would cause us to, to mire and be bogged down by destruction, leading us to him to cling to his feet. And then even when we are told that, that, that we can stop now, her response, I'm not leaving. I mean, we hear that, we can read that, and it can even sound annoying. But yet there's something about that annoyance that I think is important to make note of. Jesus gave an example of, of desperation. He said, hey, there's a man who needed something. And even though his need came in the middle of the night, he went and he knocked on his neighbor's door. His neighbor said, hey, I'm in bed. Catch me tomorrow. And he knocked and he knocked and he knocked and he knocked and he refused to leave. And he made such a scene that his neighbor, even though his neighbor was in bed already, came to the door and met his need. I mean, it could either be filed away as kind of a goofy story or it can be the word of God entering into your life as instruction and counsel for how to handle our needs. That we be shameless. And there's been a number of times where somebody has asked me something and it's almost insulted me when I've talked to them about a need or something like that. And they say, well, have you prayed about it? And an arrogance will rise up and, well, of course I've prayed about it. Have you kept praying about it? Have you kept seeking God? Is that shamelessness alive and well in you to seek after God nonstop concerning the breakthrough and the victory that is so urgently needed? And to keep those fires stoked isn't always an easy thing. I believe that's why we need the body around us to support and, and to fellowship and, and to keep encouraged. Hey, hang in there. Keep seeking. Don't give up. God is good. Cling to the feet of Jesus. And brother, if your hands get tired, I'll get down there and cling for you. Just don't let go. And it's that kind of shamelessness that I believe is the desperation that God deals in. Hunger, thirst, all of these things, ultimate and urgent. And they all touch our lives for the purpose of showing us and illustrating us. Illustrating to us, rather, excuse me, how to function and how to operate in our time of need. I want to pray and I want to ask God for that shamelessness to exist. In our hearts and our minds, that any pride or any tradition or anything that would keep us from shamelessly seeking after him would be lifted. There where you stand, you're welcome to be in a state of receiving or agreement. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We rejoice, uh, first and foremost, that you've not made us to be beggars groveling before you, but that you have equipped us by your mercy to come boldly before you. Let that boldness lead us to come before you with humble hearts, to cling to you, to refuse to, to, to leave, to, to be in that place of mind or heart that we will not seek solution in another. 
but that we trust that you have a way, you have a plan. Let it not be forced to fit our heart's desire, but let our heart be pliable to be molded to your plan. Let that desperation and that urgency lead, into, lead us into a freedom from tradition and habit and pride and arrogance and, and bring us to a place of shamelessness where we might cling to the feet of our righteous king and we might walk in such a manner that we see the solution that we so urgently need and let every desperate situation have its wonderful way leading us to you, seeking after you, bringing us back to you if we have strayed away. Let there be a work that it would not be resented, rejected, despised, or hated, but that it would be embraced. God, you are at work in my life. You are drawing me near to you, and you are bringing a victory into play in my life that will bring you both honor and glory and continue to see your kingdom expand in my life, in my household, in every aspect of my living. Let that mentality rise in us that we might respond to every desperate or urgent need in such a way that we would make room for the victory that is Yeshua, your deliverance, manifest and full in our King Jesus. Let it bring you honor and glory. We bless your name. We praise you and we rejoice in you. And we give you thanks in the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.